On April 18, 2007, five Muslim men entered a Christian publishing house in southeastern Turkey and killed three Christian men. Nakadi Ayadin, Yurgul Yuksel, and Tilman Geski. These men were tortured, bound, and stabbed. They were murdered because they published and sold Bibles. They were killed because they were followers of Jesus Christ. Now what on the surface appears to be a victory for the enemy actually turned out into what some believe was the greatest proclamation of the gospel in Turkey, likely since the time of the Apostle Paul. You see, following these men's martyrdom, they had a funeral. And at that funeral, 500 people attended that funeral. 500 people risked their safety and their well-being to stand alongside other followers of Jesus Christ to proclaim his name, to recognize that he is Lord. Despite the heavy police presence and media coverage, in a country that is 99% Muslim, these people determined it was worth the risk and exposure to stand for Jesus. Clearly a small sacrifice in light of what the families, the wives, the children, and the fiancé of the deceased suffered. I have an eyewitness testimony from that funeral that I would like to share with you this morning. Now I've edited it a bit for time, but it reads as follows. What we witnessed has forever changed our lives. As the body was carried into the courtyard high upon the shoulders of our Turkish brothers, spontaneous applause burst forth. I leaned over to my national friend and asked, is this normal for funerals in your culture? No, he asserted, it is because he is a martyr. As the casket continued, beautiful worship music erupted. Everyone joined in Turkish praise songs. However, what followed nearly took our breath away. Approximately 10 Turkish leaders openly proclaimed the gospel in front of television cameras, news reporters, police, and the deputy governor of the province. Each shared their faith in Christ and forgiveness of those who had committed the murders. Additionally, they shared that Christ had won the victory, and at that very hour, the martyrs were standing before the very throne of God. However, what happened next can only be explained by the supernatural love and strength that God alone can give. Spontaneously, in an unplanned moment, Nakati's wife asked if she could speak. Amid her tears, she spoke of her forgiveness for the very men who had tortured and killed her husband and the father of her children. In an emotion-filled voice, she asserted, I know my Nakati was praying for them even while he was being tortured. She also spoke of her family's love for each other and for serving Jesus. Lastly, she stated, I love my husband very much, but I love my Jesus even more, and that is why I can face tomorrow. Again, thunderous applause burst forth. Then in the closing moments of this incredible service, one of the pastors shouted, Afrin Nakati, Afrin Yurgu, Ya Afrin Tillman, which means well done, Nakati, well done, you girl, well done, Tillman. We were certain that the Lord echoed these same sediments as he received these precious men into his heavenly kingdom. 
As believers, we knew we had been in the presence of the Lord. It seemed as if we had observed church history in the very making. Most importantly, we believe that the precious blood of these saints was not shed in vain, but will be used to further God's kingdom in a manner that has not occurred since the time of the apostles. So let it be written, so let it be done. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, this story resonates with us in so many ways. It resonates because of the powerful testimony that's shared. It resonates because there was a supernatural presence there encouraging these people on to boldness. It resonates because there's a demonstration of faith. And it resonates for so many more reasons. But this morning, I want us to see that there is a foundational, fundamental principle that is within this story that is for you and for me this morning. A fundamental, foundational principle of Christianity that is revealed to us in and through this story. The principle is that the cross comes before the crown. You see, the, in Christianity, in following Jesus, the, the pain comes before the gain. The sacrifice comes before the reward. Suffering comes before glory. You see, you and I, we're here this morning and we're in this part of the gospel of Matthew because, because Jesus wants to share with us that the cross comes before the crown. So if you would, would you take a Bible and would you turn to Matthew chapter 16? Now, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab the one that's in front of you. It's in a rack and it looks exactly like this Bible. And if you turn in that Bible to page 798, you will be right where we are in the story. Page 798. Well, I'd like us to consider exactly where we are in the story. So far, Jesus has called 12 guys to follow him closely. These 12 people are called his disciples. And up until this point, we have witnessed Jesus performing incredible miracles, profound teachings, healings, Jesus walking on water, feeding thousands of people with little supply. We have seen his confounding, confusing, and angering the religious leaders of his day. These disciples have witnessed people hanging on Jesus' every word. Those people hoping, praying to receive some type of personal miracle from Jesus. And at this point in the story, these disciples know that if Jesus said the word, that these people would lay down everything and proclaim Jesus as king. And last week, we saw something even greater. Last week, we see that Peter, Peter himself, when Jesus asks, who am I? Peter sees, he understands who Jesus is, and he proclaims about Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus doesn't deny it. He affirms what Peter says. He says, yeah, Peter, you're right. I am the Christ. I am the son of the living God. And then Jesus makes two promises. He says, I'm going to build my church. 
And he said, I'm going to build my church. And the second promise is, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. You realize, you ever think about how these disciples have to be feeling? How would you be feeling? You'd be on the top of the mountain. You'd be up on the hill. Everything's going well. Everything's going right. These people, thousands of people are following Jesus. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people are being healed by Jesus. It can't get any better than this. And these disciples are thinking in their minds, someday, I'm gonna, and it's got to be close, I'm going to reign with Jesus. And then, and then Jesus starts talking about dying. Now, it's not what you'd expect. Now, you and I, we know the story. If you've been in church for any period of time, you know what happens in the story. You know how this story goes on and proceeds. But these disciples, they don't know. And if you were here at this point in time, you wouldn't know either. And when Jesus would start talking about dying, you'd be like, dude, what are you talking about? You just fed thousands of people with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. You've been healing people, and now you're going to start talking about dying? It's not what they expected, and it wouldn't be what you and I would have expected either. Look at verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Look at those first three words. From that time on. Those first three words mark a turning point in Jesus's ministry. Jesus's ministry here moves to a new stage. It says Jesus will now suffer many things. He indicates here that three things are going to happen to him. Number one, he would suffer. Number two, he would be killed. And number three, he'd be raised on the third day. Now in the past, earlier in this story, he had hinted at these things to his disciples, but this is the first time that he made these things known clearly to them. The apostle Mark tells us in his gospel that this is the first time that Jesus openly shared these things with them. And over the coming months, Jesus continues to talk about what is to come. But the disciples do not put this all together until after Jesus is raised from the dead. And it's after Jesus is raised the, from the dead that they start to understand that the cross comes before the crown. Now, I'd like you to notice what is the most important word in this verse. It's the word must. Underline it. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed and raised to life on the third day. Must controls the entire clause. You see, it's necessary for Jesus. It's a non-negotiable. It's part of God's plan. It's not simply advisable. It's not merely expedient. It is part of God's plan. You see, there is no other possibility because the cross comes before the crown. Well, nobody really likes this, especially Peter. So Peter thinks he's going to fix the problem. So he takes Jesus aside. 
Look at verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, Peter said. This shall never happen to you. Now, it's a little crazy to me. It's a little crazy to me to think that this is the person who just a few moments before had acknowledged Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. And now he's taking Jesus off to the side and he is rebuking Christ, the son of the living God. And he's telling him, oh no, this isn't the path. And she's like, no, Peter, you don't understand. This is the path. And Jesus' response, it's a little more detailed than that. It's actually pretty harsh. It's as strong as anything that's recorded in the Bible. Look at verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, Jesus recognized that Satan was using Peter in an attempt to frustrate God's plan. You understand what was happening to Peter. You see, Peter was excited about the possibility of reigning with Jesus. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Surely he's going to be king. And if Jesus is the king, I'm going to get the opportunity. I, Peter, am going to get the opportunity to reign with Jesus. He was all about reigning with Jesus, but he was struggling to accept the reality of Christ's suffering. You see, and if we're honest with each other, if we're honest with each other, we're not so different than Peter, are we? We think a lot like Peter. We think to ourselves, and we may not admit it in church circles, but we think to ourselves, if Jesus is the Christ, if Jesus is the Christ and he's the son of the living God, then he is going to take care of me in such a way that my life is going to be easy that I'm not going to have any trials. I'm not going to have any difficulties. And surely if he's the Christ, if he's the son of the living God, I'm not going to suffer in this life. My life is going to go well. It's going to go easy. It's going to be defined the way I want to define my life. We all are similar to Peter in that way. And sometimes don't we want to take Jesus aside and rebuke him for the things that are going on in our lives? But you see, the principle here is clear. It's very clear. The principle here and in Matthew's gospel is very simple. You see, for Jesus, the order is the cross first and the crown later. And for you and me as followers of Jesus Christ, the order is suffering first, then glory. Suffering, then glory. And Jesus wants us to understand. He wants us to understand exactly what this looks like. So he gives to us three requirements, three requirements to following him. Those requirements are found in verse 24. These are required for all people who follow after Jesus. This is not only said to his disciples at that point and that day. It is said to you and me today as well. Look at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning, you're listening to me, this is a reminder to you. It's a reminder that most of us need and we need the reminder frequently. 
If you're following Jesus, the call, the requirement, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And if you're here this morning, and you're thinking about following Jesus, and you're not quite sure you want to follow Jesus, I want to be clear with you this morning. I'm not offering you a bait and switch. The requirements are right here. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And each of these requirements is significant. The first requirement tells us that we must deny ourselves. The word that's used in the original language is a very strong word. It means to deny utterly, to completely renounce. You see, here, Jesus is calling us to do something that is completely antithetical to everything that is told to us by our culture. It is completely antithetical to everything we believe in our fallen selves. You see, everything about our culture and everything about our fallen selves is about ourselves, is about our self-glorification and our self-gratification. We live in a world that tells us that we, in order to love somebody else, we need to love ourselves first. We live in a world that tells us that we are to seek out our own truth. We live in a world that encourages us day after day to pursue our own rights, to lift ourselves up so that we may be seen and we may be heard. Even within religious circles, a lot of times, we talk or others talk about self-actualization and self-realization. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here is the very opposite of what society, our culture, and often ourselves, what we're, what we're hearing and saying sometimes to ourselves? The very opposite. See, Jesus tells us that the first step is to dethrone self. Take yourself off the throne. We need to lay aside our agenda and our rights. We must set aside our promotional self as the chief objective of our lives. In short, we need to step out of the driver's seat and let Jesus step into the driver's seat. The first step in following Jesus, deny Yourself. The second step, the second thing Jesus tells us is to take up our cross. Here, Jesus is speaking about something that everyone during his time likely saw at least once in their life. That was a condemned person carrying their cross in a public act of humiliation up along a street to the point of an ex their execution. The person is carrying the instrument of their own death along a street to the point where they are going to be hung on that cross and crucified. And here Jesus makes the analogy. He says, you, me, if you are a follower of Jesus, you pick up your cross, you take your cross, you carry it, you endure the cross of suffering that results from following Jesus. You endure the cross of suffering that results from identification with Jesus. You see, if you follow Jesus, you should expect difficulties and trials just because you follow Jesus. You should expect ridicule. You should expect mocking because you tell others that you are a follower of Jesus because you know why? They are going to think you are crazy. 
And you know what? Sometimes it does sound crazy. But you are going to endure that cross of suffering because of your identification with Jesus. You will have a friend that you will share Jesus with and that friend will turn on you and betray you and maybe even slander you just because you follow Jesus. You will likely miss out on promotions and more just because you follow Jesus. This is what it means to take up your cross, to take up your cross. And when you do it, you are ready in all times and in all situations to gladly endure the bearing of your cross for Jesus. And then finally, and thirdly, Jesus says that we must follow him. This means that we must imitate Jesus. Another way of saying this is that we are an apprentice for Jesus. We are on his path. We are following him on his path. We are not making our own path. We are following Jesus on his path, which means we go where he goes. We do what he does. We say the things he wants us to say, which means that we have to be able to listen to his voice and we have to be able to understand his word. And that way we know what his path looks like and we follow Jesus on that path. Why? Because he's the boss. He's the Lord. Jesus is the man. And we follow him. Now, I'd like you to notice, I'd like you to notice something about this. I'd like you to notice the order of the three requirements. I'd like you to think about it this way. You see, you really, you really cannot follow Jesus unless you've taken up the cross, the instrument of your own death. And you really can't take up the cross unless you have utterly and completely denied yourself. You see, unless we have denied ourselves and taken up our cross, in all reality, unless you've done those things, you're really not following Jesus. You see, you see, Jesus doesn't demand a lot from his followers. Jesus demands everything from his followers. To follow Jesus means to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow him. Now, what does this look like? What does it look like to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus? What does it look like in our context, in the lives that we live? Now, I'm betting, I'm betting that there are some of you that as I was talking about denying yourself, taking up and cross and following Jesus, that you were thinking in your head that something popped into your mind and I would suggest that that was the Spirit of God popping something into your mind, maybe a choice, maybe something that you're abstained from, something he has popped into your mind to share with you what it looks like to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow Jesus. But I'd like to help you a bit if nothing popped into your mind. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're here this morning, and, and God has been calling you to move and it's not just that he's called you to move to the east side of the state. It's not that he's called you to move to Detroit. It's not even that he's called you to move to New York. He's called you to move to a different country. And it's not only that he's called you to move to a different country, but he's called you to move to a country where it is dangerous. A country maybe that's 99% Muslim. And he has called you to move to that place. 
And to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus would mean you would move to that place, but in your mind, you're thinking that's pretty dangerous. And everybody around you in your circle, your family and your friends is saying to you, well, that's a dangerous country. Why would you move there? You might be harmed. You might be hurt. You have a great job here. How can you give up your job trajectory and path? What does it look like to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning and the Lord has been kind of laying on you the the idea that you need to be more generous. You need to give more to the Lord's work. Now, maybe that's here at Calvary. Maybe it is someplace else. But God has been laying on your heart that you're to be a more giving person. But we're in an inflationary economy. Our economy's not doing that well, and there's potentially a recession right around the corner. It may be the worst recession ever. It may be even in a depression. And I have limited savings, or my income is such, and this is... What does it look like to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning, and you're in your 40s, and the Lord's been kind of whispering in your ear that you're supposed to leave your job and go to another job to serve him, but that new job will pay you much less than your current job. What does it look like to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? Maybe last night you were at a party and the alcohol was flowing and there was a back room and a bunch of people were smoking weed in the back and so you went in the back room and you're puffing and and you're smoking, and you're just kind of sitting there, and you're like, man, this doesn't, it doesn't feel right. Maybe Jesus is saying to you, you got you to gotta stop partying. But you know if you stop, you're going to lose some friends. You may not be in the group. What does it look like to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? You may be here this morning and you love your sport. I don't know what your sport is. Maybe it's basketball, maybe it's hockey, maybe it's soccer. You love your sport and you're good. You're really good. And you made a travel team. But that travel team plays a lot of Sundays. And so you miss a lot of church. You miss a lot of church and a lot of Jesus to play with a ball and push a puck around. What does it look like to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning and you heard that at Calvary Church, we turn babies away from our baby ministry and children's ministry. In the last two months, there have been multiple weeks where we have turned children away because we do not have enough volunteers. But man, I'd have to miss meet the press in my first cup of coffee. What does it look like to take up your cross, to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? It's pretty heavy stuff. It's heavy because the cross comes before the crown. So now I ask the question, why? Why would we do this? 
Why would you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? Why would I deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus? Do you realize how the disciples had to be feeling? You want to know how they were feeling? They were feeling the exact same way you're feeling right now. They're sitting there listening to Jesus and they're thinking to themselves, you know what, I'd rather rule with you. I'm not sure that I want to deny myself, take up my cross and follow you. Because if we're honest, we're all sitting, you're all sitting listening to me and you're counting the cost. I know because all this week as I was preparing this, I'm counting the cost. You know why? You know why the disciples denied themselves, took up the cross, and followed Jesus? You know why? They did it because of the promise of glory. You see, there is a promise of glory. There is a cross, but the cross leads to the crown. There is suffering, but the suffering ends up leading to glory. Why does this make sense for you, and why does it make sense for me? And what Jesus does is Jesus gives a logical, rational answer to why we are to do this. Verses 25, 26, and 27 are three reasons why. Each of those verses start with the word for. Verse 26 does not if you have the NIV because the NIV removed that word. But all three of those verses are the reasons why, the reasons why we are to deny, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Reasons why. The first reason, verse 25 For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever wants to find their life for me will find it. Jesus tells us that if someone is so concerned about his physical life that he denies Christ, that person actually loses their life. But the one who trusts Christ, the one who identifies with Christ, the one who lives completely for Jesus is the person who really finds life who finds life here and now, who finds meaningful, purposeful, valuable life here and now in the present. You see, if you deny yourself, if you take up your cross, and if you follow Jesus, you receive your best life now. You see, we all know people who have been hesitant to follow Jesus because they're concerned about what they're going to have to give up. I know some of you may be calculating that right now in your mind. If I follow Jesus, I'm concerned about what I have to give up. And I just told you, yes, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and you have to follow Jesus. It may mean that you may lose some relationships. It may mean that your parents may not view you the same. It may mean that you will never have the big house, the money in the bank, the nice cars, the acclaim of other people. It may mean those things, but what you get in exchange is life, meaningful, purposeful, valuable life here and now. You get the life that everybody is looking for and dreaming for. You know what? This is like this. Some of you have put your, you're, you're climbing this ladder. You're climbing a ladder and you're climbing the rungs of the ladder and you're trying to get up to the top, whatever that may be. But the concern I have is that you put your ladder against the wrong house. 
And you're going to get to the top and you're going to be so disappointed. You're going to be so discouraged because you went after all those things. You went after the money. You went after the cars. You went after meaningless relationships. You went after all those things. And they didn't satisfy. And I know some of you have a glimpse of it already. You may not be to the top of the ladder, but you're trying to get up that ladder and you're trying to make more money. You're trying to make it drive. I don't know what the car is you want, but you're already starting to feel that it's meaningless. And right here, Jesus says, but if you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, you get glory. You get glory in the here and the now and in the present. You get your best life. Second, Jesus focuses on the second aspect of life. He now turns to eternal life. Look at verse 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now, interestingly here, the Greek word that is translated life in verse 25 and soul in verse 26, they're the same word. The focus, though, has turned from life here and now to life eternal. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his eternal life? Now the focus is on eternal life. You see, if you hold on to your present physical life at all costs, you'll have lost life in the eternal. Think about it. If you gain everything in this life, if you have millions of dollars in the bank, if you have the house of your dreams, if you have a cabin in the woods, if you have a home on the lake, if you have five cars in the driveway, if you have the acclaim of hundreds, thousands, and even millions of people, what is it going to profit you when you die? Because when you die, it all goes away. And every one of us are going to die. So Jesus says, what is it going to profit you if you gain everything and you lose eternal life as a product? Because what do you have in the end? Nothing. And then finally, to drive home the point, Jesus identifies the third reason to deny self, take up your cross and follow him. Verse 27, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. You see, when weighing the cost of things in this life, it must be put in a final perspective. One day, every one of us is going to stand before Jesus Christ. You, me, everyone is going to stand before Jesus Christ and we are going to have to give an account of our life and he is going to evaluate our lives. He is going to judge you and he is going to judge me and he is going to recompense us for the works that we have accomplished in this life. Now that does not mean that our work or our works saves us. We are saved through the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. But what it does mean is that one day, Jesus is going to sift out all those people who decided it was not worth it to deny themselves, to take up a cross, and to follow him. Those who did not deny themselves, those who did not take up a cross, those who did not follow him, those people will not receive eternal life.
I pray that if you are listening to me, you will take this seriously. Each one of us one day is going to stand before Jesus and have to give an answer for our lives. One day that is going to happen. It's time for you and for me to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus. And what does Jesus do in the story that helps us in this regard? He gives us a glimpse of that glory. Jesus gives us a glimpse of the glory that is to come because the disciples had to be discouraged because the plot line of the story has changed and now they're being called to deny themselves, take up the cross and follow Jesus. And so they needed some encouragement. So Jesus provided encouragement to them. Now there's many things that we can look at this transfiguration and take out of it, but I would like you to see a couple of things. But first, let's look at the transfiguration itself. Look at verse 28 first. It says, truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So Jesus knows these guys need some encouragement. So Jesus takes three of them up the side of the mountain. He takes Peter, James, and John up the side of a mountain. And then look at verse 2 of chapter 17. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Can you imagine the scene? Peter, James, and John, a bit discouraged. Jesus takes them up to the side of the mountain and on that side of the mountain, Jesus is transfigured. He is changed. He is transformed before their very eyes. There's something about the earthly that falls away from Jesus and something about the heavenly that's revealed in him. Some of his earthly characteristics fall away and divine glory is shown up and out and through his face in his clothes and they're all standing there. Peter, James, and John, Moses, and Elijah are there as well and Jesus is radiating the glory of heaven. And Peter says, man, we got to stay here. I don't ever want to leave this place. So what does Peter say? Peter says in verse four, Lord, it is good for us to be here. You think so? It's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then if it's not all enough, God himself speaks out of a cloud. He says, out of a cloud, people. Have you read this so many times that it is lost on you what is happening here? Jesus' face is shining with radiant glory from heaven. His clothes are shining. And in that moment, a cloud comes down. And out of that cloud, God himself speaks. And God says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is too much for the disciples. So Peter, James, and John fall on their faces afraid. And Jesus walks over to them and picks them up and says, don't be afraid. I'm here. We're in this together. Now, like I said, there is much that we could put, dig into here. But there's two things I want you to see. First, first thing, this display of glory is not wasted upon the disciples. 
This display of glory is not wasted upon the disciples. You see, the disciples needed this encouragement to accomplish the task that Jesus had given them. They needed the encouragement to deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. And because of this encouragement, because of the glimpse of the transfigured Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples denied themselves, took up the cross, and followed Jesus, and changed the world. The whole world. See, the transfiguration was not lost upon the disciples. Second, I pray that the transfiguration is not lost on us because it is also a glimpse or a preview of glory for you and me. You see, we have this ancient historical event that Peter has testified to. Look at what happens at the end of 2 Peter, right before Peter's going to be martyred. Look at what Peter writes. Peter writes this, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter, at the end of his life, is testifying. He is remembering this ancient event where Jesus Christ gave him a glimpse of glory that caused him to go out, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him because the suffering came before the glory. And Peter saw that. But it should not be lost on you or me as well because that transfiguration is also a glimpse for you and for me into our future because our future is a glorified, transfigured Jesus Christ. But our future is also glory for you and glory for me. You see, Jesus rewards you when you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. You get glory. You get the glory of the transfigured Jesus, and you get personal glory. Look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed, changed, transfigured in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. What is going to happen to you and to me someday is the perishable is going to become imperishable, the mortal is going to become immortal. You and I, we are going to not only experience the glory of Jesus, Jesus Christ, we will be actually be glorified like Jesus Christ. Look at this further word. Look at what it says next. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You and I are going to experience the transfigured Jesus, and we too are going to be transfigured in glory. It makes sense then why Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be rewarded, revealed. You take up your, deny yourself, you take up your cross and you follow Jesus and life has moments and times and elements of suffering, but that suffering leads to glory. 
this past week, I have not been able to get out of my mind the story of those three, two Turkish and one German martyrs. I cannot get out of my mind, well done, Nakati, well done, Ugur, well done, Tillman. I cannot get out of my mind that God himself welcomed them into his presence and rewarded them for the fact that they denied themselves, took up their cross, and followed him. I cannot get that out of my mind. But you know what else I can't get out of my mind about that story? And I hope you caught it, and if you didn't, you're going to catch it now. Did you hear what the pastor said? The pastor said, in the midst of the funeral, surely we have been in the presence of the Lord. Surely we have been in the presence of the Lord. It is because at that moment in time, in that funeral specifically, the people that were there, the people that were present got a glimpse. Yes, it was just a glimpse. It was not the same as it was on the mountain for Peter, for James, or for John, but they got a glimpse of the transfigured Jesus. When that pastor said, surely we are in the presence of the Lord, it was true because Jesus was present with them in and at that funeral. And do you realize, if you're willing to open your eyes to see, if you're willing to open your ears to hear, if you're willing to open your heart to receive, that every Sunday morning when we gather in this place, we too get a glimpse of the transfigured Jesus. So when we come into this place, there is an expectation. You have lived this past week. You will live this next week trying, seeking, hoping to deny self, take up your cross and follow Jesus. But every week when you come into this place, you get a glimpse of glory because you get a glimpse of a transfigured Jesus right here. So in just a moment, we're going to worship together. And I pray that you will open your eyes. You will open up your ears. You will open up your hearts and you will worship. And you will see and hear and experience the transfigured Jesus. And that he and he alone will empower you to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him knowing that you as a follower of Jesus, get to experience a glimpse of the transfigured Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that as we worship you, that you would reveal yourself to us. I pray that we would receive a glimpse of you in your transfigured state. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters that, Lord, they would be encouraged. Life is hard. There are many trials and difficulties and suffering. But Lord, for you, we want to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you.
But Lord, I need your help. And I'm assuming that many in this room need your help as well. So we lift you up. We worship you. And we pray, Lord. Jesus, we pray that you will draw each one of us closer to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.